Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to HeyYA. From great new books to favorite classic reads, from news stories to updates on the latest in on-screen adaptations, HeyYA is a bi-weekly podcast here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. HeyYA is a book right podcast hosted by me, Kelly Jensen, along with Eric Smith. We're recording on Thursday, March 29th, 2018. How's it going, Eric? Not bad, not bad. Just, uh, you know, busy reading good books as we, uh, as we tend to be. <laughs> What have you been? Uh, what have you been reading lately? What's in your What's in your stack? So uh, I just this morning finished reading *Emergency Contact* by Mary H. K. Choi, and it's funny because as we were putting together the agenda for our show today, um, I had just started the book. It was like maybe a hundred pages in, and I, I thought I was going to not finish it. Um, I read a number of good reviews, and like all the reviews had all the red flags that tell me it's a book that I probably won't love. Uh, but I read it anyway, and as I was reading it, I wasn't super enjoying it. I wasn't. It wasn't a bad book, and it's not a bad book. But it just like didn't wasn't connecting for me, and mm. um, so I was having this internal debate about like, do I keep going, knowing that it's probably not going to get better for me, or do I stop and move on to the next thing? Ninety nine percent of the time, when I get into that sort of like state of wondering what to do with what I'm reading, I quit. Like I don't. I don't mind quitting a book, but this time I just kept going, um, and I finished it this morning, and it was fine, um, but it, it did all the things that I, as a reader, don't care about. Like, I personally find stories set in college to be super boring, because mm-hmm. college is not that interesting. Um, <laughs> like, it, it's just not, um, and, and yet I kept going, <laughs> and, um, you know, as I was reading, I thought it would be a book that you would like, um, hmm. and, and I know plenty of readers who would like it, especially those readers who... Um, like John Green or Rainbow Roll and are like, okay, but I want a main character of color at the center of the story and, oh, it would be great if it's written by a person of color. And this book checks checks all those boxes. Mm, um, okay. And it, it does what it's trying to do well. It's just not for me. Um, but, yeah, it's so so I, it got me thinking, like, at what point do you DNF a book? Ah. Yes, the, the do not finish shelf on Goodreads, or did not finish, rather. Um, that's a good question. You know, it's something I wrestle with in my agent life, too. Um, but usually, I don't know, I'll stop around page 50. Like, I try to get at least 50 pages in. Um, like, by that point, I know whether or not I want to spend more time with this uh, character or with this, you know, with this author. Um, that feels like a good, a good point for me. But I don't know. I also like everything, which is also a problem. Um... <laughs> You know, like, I'm that person that watches bad movies because there might be explosions in it or, you know, and as, as long as a book is making me laugh and clap my hands, there's a good chance I'm going to finish it. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm hard-pressed to think about the last book that I, I you know, put on my did-not-finish shelf. Um, hmm. 
Yeah, no, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's funny because I think, and, and maybe this is your experience too, um, for me, like I know what I'm going to like, so I tend yeah. to pick up books I know I'm going to like versus books that, you know, I read the description or read reviews and go, oh, it's probably not a book for me. Like I know my mm-hmm. reading interests enough to say that like DNFing is pretty uncommon, even though I'm, I'm fine doing it, it's fairly uncommon, but still it's, it was like, this was the first time in a long time where I just like really got tripped up on uh, whether to stop or keep going. And, you know, I don't regret reading it, but at the same time, it's like, well, did I really need to spend this morning reading it? Well, I did. I get, you know, <laughs> like, um, so let's, let's pivot to what are you reading right now? Oh, man. Well, I just got sent an arc of uh, Summer Bird Blue by Akimi Bowman. Um, she wrote Starfish. It's a book I wouldn't <laughs> shut up about last year, and I keep bringing up here on the podcast. I'm, I'm genuinely waiting to get a review on iTunes that has someone complaining about me talking about this author all the time. Um, <laughs> but it's another great YA contemporary um, about complex families and trauma. Um, something Akimi seems to be like really great at focusing uh, on her stories. Um, so it's about this teenager who loses her younger sister in a car accident, and the two of them have sort of grown up with all these plans to like make art and music together, and then she's just sort of ripped away from her. Um, and that that theme, that idea of getting something torn away, is is sort of prevalent throughout the whole book um, because she gets taken away from her home. She's she's whisked away uh, by her mom to go live with her aunt in Hawaii. Um, which, you know, like when you hear that, it's like, oh, that's great. You know, you get to go, you know, recover in paradise, but that's not really what's happening. Um, it's this book that's like about abandonment. You know, what is it like to be left behind, um, by everyone you care about? Um, you know, there's some romance, you know, smattered in there as she, as she's trying to, you know, get things together again. Um, and I'll probably finish this book by the time the podcast goes live, but yeah, I'm really loving it. It's, Heartbreaking and powerful, just like her previous book. Um, I'm going to read every book that this author <laughs> puts out. Um, but I also feel, I feel like I should mention something that maybe you guys can read, you know, our, our poor listeners, because this book isn't out until November, I think. Um, so I started The Wicker King by uh, Kay uh, Ancrum, I think is how you say her last name. Um, I met the author at that YA festival I went to last month, the Nova Teen YA Fest, and... Um, it's really interesting and dark and twisty. It's about these uh, two close best friends, um, one of whom has these like really intense hallucinations to the point where they're kind of living in this um, living in this like fantasy world. Um, and the other friend, the best way to support uh, their pal is to to kind of go along with everything and just just believe them as best as they can. So you're kind of questioning what's real and what isn't, and it's all really complicated um and yeah i i'm really liking it so far i just started it um but i can tell that i'm going to be really into it uh the writing is just fantastic and the book is a book that i kind of want to keep on my shelf forever because the cover is so beautiful if i'm remembering correctly and if i if i am I'll, i'll link it to it in the show notes but i believe somebody interviewed the cover designer and the author about the cover design because it's got a really visually like interesting look to it that uh, I think makes it one that you would want on yourself or that you would want to pick up and just sort of enjoy like the physical look of the book too. Yeah, it's gold and black and yeah, it's really nice. So let's uh, let's hop into our show. We've got three really interesting and different topics to sort of dig into. But first, our sponsor... 
Our first sponsor is Rebel with a Cupcake by Amy Mannering from KCP Loft. And the description reads as such. Jezebel Jones says what she wants and eats what she wants. She is who she is, no regrets. But when a wardrobe malfunction leads to a mortifying encounter with a mean girl, Jess's confidence suddenly takes a nosedive. Being fat has never bothered her before, but Jess starts to wonder if she's just a little too comfortable in her own skin. When the boy of her dreams seems to sudden, seems suddenly interested, Jess must decide whether to try to fit in or remain true to herself, whoever that is. Fans of Bridget Jones' Diary will love this bold and hilarious debut. So um, when I first read the description of this book, I was like, oh man, it sends up like all the red flags about books about fat girls that I just don't like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I went and looked up the reviews of it, and it actually, it sounds really good. Um, it has a really cute cover, too, that I'm, you know, it does the thing where, like, it's a book about a fat girl and it has food on it, but it's also really eye-catching. So um, I'm, I'm definitely curious about this one. Mm, okay. So our first topic um, came about as I was thinking about a trend I've seen in the last year or so, and then... It's a trend that's been, it's been going on for a while, but it, it seems to come and go in waves. And that's sort of talking about how uh, graphic novels and the YA category have this really interesting relationship with one another. So specifically, like, why are we seeing more graphic novels for YA with characters that we're familiar with? And why are we seeing more novelizations of comics with characters that we're familiar with or, or have some sort of history with? So the thing that really struck me was thinking about the graphic novel that just came out last month, uh, the Speak graphic novel written by Lori Hall Sanderson and illustrated by Emily Carroll. And then there's also a recent, I can't remember exactly when it came out, but it's more recent, the Monster graphic novel which was written by Walter Dean Myers and illustrated by Guy A. Sims. And it's interesting to think about both of those classic YA novels getting these new audiences through this visual medium, through comics. Um, and it just, it just got me thinking about the ways we're seeing this happen more and more. There was a release that came out recently that the um, comic Giant Days is going to be made into a YA novel. And the Runaways graphic novel series was just turned into a novel for YA readers. Um, And it's interesting to see these massively popular comics, and in the case of Runaways, you know, bigger franchises than that, um, turn into novels for YA readers. And it's interesting to see these YA novels then turn into graphic novels. And (laughs) it just got me thinking, like, what, what makes these two seemingly different types of books work so well together. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you said something interesting while you're talking about it is, was when you were saying, um, you know, how it might introduce it to a new audience. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's the big hook in it for me. Um, you know, when I, when I worked at Quirk, um, I remember we did the Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children graphic novel. Um, and Miss Peregrine is, you know, it's a pretty hefty book. I know there's like photos in it, but it's a big book. Um, Hollow City is the second book is, just gigantic. Um, but the graphic novel, you know, pared it down, uh, really well, you know, you could read it in a sitting. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And I kind of feel the same way about like YA graphic novels as I do about like inverse poetry novels. You know, they're easy to inhale, um, or you could take mm-hmm. your your time and you know absorb everything, get the images, uh, you know, look at all the gorgeous art. Um, and I kind of feel like what it does is it, it makes it a little more accessible. Maybe you know those reluctant readers can uh, mm-hmm. pick up a graphic novel and. I don't know, not feel the pressure of, of reading like a, like a physical, I don't know, book, you know, like I, I have, mm-hmm. I certainly have cousins and friends that, um, are way more into reading graphic novels than they are into reading, um, you know, regular books. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I think it might make it a little bit, a little bit easier for, for a reader that might not otherwise pick it up, uh, you know, pick it up. That's yeah. I, I agree with you. And I think too, just thinking like with my librarian brain, mm-hmm. um, Having that familiarity with a character or story really lets you reach readers um, who might otherwise be hesitant to try one or the other. So, you know, you have a reader who she, he, they really love the speak novel. They've read it a few times. How convenient that you can then hand them the graphic novel, which, yes, at the heart is the same story, but it's told in a different way, and it, it gives, you know... A, a different perspective on the story and it gives this visual medium through which you can relive sort of those, those scenes and stories and, and look at it in a, in a new way. Um, you know, and then, and then you think the other way too, you have these comics that readers know. So like the runaways comics, um, you know, readers are familiar with those. You can then hand them the novel and say, Hey, did you know there's also a novel about this? You know, I mm-hmm. bet you'd like it a whole lot. And you know, you're able to sort of get them to read, outside their comfort zone without throwing them in the deep end and expecting them to like figure it out. You know, it's yeah. a, it's a nice like entry point. Um, you also in, in our notes, you mentioned this and I'm going to jump the gun on it, but you talk too about, um, white authors who've taken their novels, their series, and then created new entries with the graphic visual format. So like Marissa Meyer, wrote the Lunar Chronicles and then followed those up with, a, I think there's two um, graphic novels set in the same world, but that tell different stories. Yeah. And, you know, I find those really interesting. Um, you know, we get to travel with a different Android in the, uh, oh shoot, what is it called? Something in Wire wires. and Nerve? Yeah. In Wire and yeah. Nerve. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I sometimes I wonder uh, who they're for. You know, exactly, mm-hmm. you know, because I feel like by the time that comes out, the, the audience might be a little bit older that fell in love with the series originally. But, you know, I'm certainly not complaining because I love them. Um, <laughs> and uh, I wonder if this is something we'll see more of, you know, bigger authors that can command that kind of crossover. Um, I don't know. Are there any any other authors doing this sort of thing on, on your list? Because I'm, I don't know. I'm kind of hard pressed to think of think of anyone recently. I don't know. I, I think that your keyword there is recently. I can think of a few, but they're a few years old, sort of when maybe um, comics and graphic novels reached that sort of, I don't want to say height of popularity, but they became sort of more commonly talked about as mm-hmm. like perfectly normal, typical way to read and that they're great reading, that it is reading, you know. Um, and we saw Marissa, uh, Melissa Marr adapt her Wicked Lovely series into a series of manga stories. Um, Scott Westerfeld did a, I think just a single graphic novel called Ugly's Shay's Story, which like Marissa Myers, 
takes the world and tells a new story in it, but told rather than in a typical narrative novel, it's told as a graphic novel. Oh, that's um, interesting. I'm going to have to check that out. I, uh, I really like the Ugly series. I have like all those chunky little hardcovers mm-hmm. <laughs> sitting on my shelf. Um, yeah. yeah. I didn't know that was a thing. Uh, then there's the Cirque de Freak by Darren Shan. They, those were both novels and graphic novels. Um, my kids used to love them at the library. Like that was one of their favorite like go-to series. Um, <laughs> and then there was a graphic novel made from Cynthia Letting Smith's Tantalize as well. Um, but again, those these are all you know, few years old. So um, I think. Marissa Meyer might be the only one that I can think of that's really recent. Um, but you know what we have seen a lot of is we've seen a lot of the um, superheroes being novelized for YA readers, which I think is super interesting. Marie Lou's Batman has been on the bestseller list pretty much since it came out. Um, Jason Reynolds did Miles Morales, which I believe that one hit the bestseller list as well. Um, and then on the younger side, so... Probably more middle grade, but even like super young YA. There were the uh, Squirrel Girl novelizations by Shannon and Dean Hale. There's the Lumberjanes novelizations, which have been written by a number of authors. I believe there's two or three at this point. Um, and then Gwenda Bond did that series of Lois Lane novels, which really cool, right? Um, and the other thing, I don't know if you saw this, but last month, DC said that they were going to create two new comic lines, one for YA and one for middle grade, and they're going to take their well-known superheroes and adapt them into comics for, for young readers to sort of be exposed to them, to give them more stories, and they tapped a whole bunch of well-known authors to write these, which is brilliant. So we're going to see uh, Lori Hall Sanderson write Wonder Woman. We're going to see Mariko Tamaki write Harley Quinn. We're going to see Danielle Page. We're going to see Melissa De La Cruz. It's just this really smart, you know, like you said, on the business side, it's smart, but it's smart on the reader side, too. Oh, yeah. um, you know, these are these are huge franchises, and sometimes it can be really intimidating to sort of, like, figure out where to start. And when you get a way for young readers or new readers to start in a way that's really approachable and accessible and told through a writing style that readers might be familiar and comfortable with, like it's, you know, it gets people into these storylines and and sucks them in. And then they have this whole world of reading and viewing and thinking um, open up to them. Yes. Yes. So, so I guess that leads me to be curious about this. Um, are there any YA books that you would like to see as comics Ooh. or any comics that you would like to see made into a YA book? Oh, man, that's such a good question. Um, I feel like Mindy McGinnis's uh, Not a Drop to Drink would be an awesome graphic novel. Um, you know, like the, the, the setting it takes place during this drought. Um, that, that sort of stark image of that little house and that, that pond in the yard they're trying to protect and the, you know, the, the, the brief and sort of short dialogue, like, I feel like it's just made for it. I, I think that graphic novel would be amazing. Um, I think Labyrinth Lost uh, would be really great. Um, you know, I could see all the, uh, just all the magic and everything just being so gorgeous. Um, and maybe North of Happy by Adil Said. Um, you know, there's this great graphic novel called Relish that I like a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, that sometimes sometimes it gets I see it pop up in young adult, even though it's I 
not really. Um, or is it? I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. Anyway, that book has like all these cute recipes uh, in it, and so does North of Happy. I could see them, you know, doing something similar there. Um, and the Bells, the recent book, The Bells by Danielle Clayton, that would be that would be a fun graphic novel. I could see all the magic and everything in there looking uh, looking very nice. What about you? What would you? Oh man, this is a good question. What would you uh, see made into uh, comics or made into a book? So on the uh, made into comic side, I'd love to see Emily X R Pan's The Astonishing Color of After oh, made into yes. like a full color graphic novel. It would be beautiful. Um, you know, so much opportunity to really play with color and um, the lushness of color and. On the opposite side, I think it would be really interesting to see The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas done in just black and white um, as sort of, you know, this, like, really powerful graphic novel done really starkly um, and, you know, let the writing really stand out for itself. I'd be Um, shocked if they didn't make that into a graphic novel, you know? I, I would, too. It's like it seems like there's a really good opportunity there, both... You know, on the business side and for the readers who would totally dig that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as you were talking about Minnie McGinnis's book, it made me think, how great would it be to have a comic take on Devils on Two Daughters Ooh. by Amy Lukovics, which is, you know, Little House on the Prairie meets uh, every horror movie ever. Yes. And like, <laughs> oh man, it would be so dark and creepy and twisted. It'd be so great in a visual visual format, so... Yeah. And, you know, I think it'd be really interesting to read a novelization of um, March by John Lewis. I think that would do really well, too. You know, we, we've... The comic itself is nonfiction, but it'd be really interesting to see that sort of story taken and woven into, you know, a series of fiction titles as well. Yeah. Yeah. Have I, you seen I, the trailer, by the way, for um, I Kill Giants? No, I haven't. So I think it's an interesting thing to bring up because I Kill Giants, uh, the graphic novel, gets shelved in YA all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I didn't particularly like the comic. Uh, and then I saw the trailer for the movie, and the trailer almost made me choke up. Uh, <laughs> it gave me like some serious like Monster Calls vibes. Uh, Ooh. Yeah, and right now you can like rent it on iTunes, even though it's in the movie theater, since it's somewhat of like an indie movie. Uh, that might be my plan this weekend. Ooh, yeah, that sounds really interesting. I I know very little about it except what you've said, so I'll have to check it out too. Do you want to talk about our second sponsor? Yes, let's dive into our next sponsor, who, by the way, I bet this would make a great graphic novel. So uh, mm, our second sponsor mm. is Brightly Burning by Alexa Dunn, uh, a romantic, cinematic, richly imagined retelling of the classic Jane Eyre, set in space! Yes, <laughs> about a 17-year-old Stella Ainsley, a mechanic who takes a governess job on board the private ship, the Rochester, and falls in love with the ship's mysterious troubled captain. Uh, Alexa Don's lush and enthralling novel will seduce and beguile you. For fans of Marissa Meyer and Kira Cass. Uh, it's written in the vein of bestsellers like Cinder and Dorothy Must Die. Um, this retelling of Jane Eyre will appear to teens and adult romance readers. Uh, and it has a swoony romance. The will-they-or-won't-they romance combined with the mystery and dramatic space setting uh, make the story impossible to put down. Stella is a tough, resourceful heroine. Uh, Jane Eyre for a new generation. Uh, so yeah, this book is actually in my 2B red queue. I have, a, I have an arc of this. Um... I remember when it sold, and I was like, oh my goodness, 
<laughs> I want to read this. I like anything they take, you know, a classic novel and they put it in space. I'm just, okay, yes. <laughs> you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not a Jane Eyre person. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't even know if I've read the whole thing, but, uh, I'm, I'm kind of with you. Anything put in space does appeal to me. And this sounds yeah. like it might be something I need to check out. Like I know the world didn't like, uh, the Disney movie treasure planet where they put treasure Island in space, but I loved it. Because again, classic novel in space, uh, it's 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 hard to go wrong. So our next topic, there's not a nice like easy transition for this one. Um, There is a really interesting piece on Book Riot. Uh, Well, by the time you listen to this, it'll be a couple weeks ago, and I'll link to it in the show notes. But it was about the idea of well-rounded animal characters in fiction, and um, the author talks about fiction broadly. Um, and how there's a lack of animal characters who really are fully fleshed to become a really deep and intricate part of the story. And it got me thinking about that very topic in YA. And, um, you know, as somebody who grew up with animals and who um, is an animal lover, like, it just it speaks to me. And it got me thinking, like, what have we seen and what haven't we seen in young adult when it comes to representation of pets and animals and our human relationship with them? That's a good question, you know, and uh, I actually thought it'd be really fun to come into this segment and be like, oh yeah, like the like the lion in Little and Lion, <laughs> or the, the king of serpents in The Serpent King, but I think, I think that'll get me some unsubscribes, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is a good question, you know, because um, I feel like this is something that comes up a lot, uh, you know again, in the agent sort of life that I have where people are always asking, like, where are the YA animal books? Um, mm-hmm. And I'm I'm such a sucker for them. You know, I like them a lot, and I'd love to see uh, it a lot more where the animal isn't just uh, a dragon, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. can, we, can we have that YA dog book? Uh, you know, can we have that YA... Um, uh, what, what, what I don't know, cat book I don't know but like I want to see <laughs> I want to see um, more I critters. think we I think we need a YA rabbit book honestly oh yes yes Watership Down does not count neither does that no. terrifying movie oh Benicula <laughs> terrifying bunny <laughs> <laughs> I mean bunnies are pretty terrifying but you know one that's not YA and two like we need better than that um, yes. You know, I just, I, I, like I said, I grew up with animals and I've always been an animal person. And uh, so whenever I see that represented by a book, I'm like, oh, yeah, there's that whole level of relationships there that, like, really makes for good, um, good reading and an interesting character development. And um, so should we just, should we talk about some yeah, of these, sure. these books that we know of? And sure, okay. So the first one that, always pops up in my head when I think about animals and books is Rotten by Michael Northrup, which is about a boy who um, his mom gets a new dog and this dog is a little rough around the edges, kind of like the main character, and um, the main character is really hesitant to sort of like this animal and build a bond with him. And um, So, so this, the whole book, the focus is him and sort of building relationships and trust and, and a lot of it revolves around this dog and whether he'll ever like be comfortable around him and, and enjoy their companionship and a plus no dog death. Oh, good. Cause that is a thing I think needs to be discussed uh-huh. when it comes to <laughs> YA dog books. Um, 
There's this website, uh, I think it's like doesthedogdie.com, that kind of lets mm-hmm. you know what happens to a dog in a movie, TV show, etc., just to, you know, prepare you. Because uh, I panic. Once there is a dog on the uh-huh. screen, and I'm getting the sense that this is a dramatic movie or a dramatic book or, you know, a scary book, and there's a dog, oh no, I... I I need a label on the book. I need something on the back mm-hmm. there that will warn me. Um. I I agree with this so hard. You know, um, thinking about the fact that we have relationships with animals, like, I, I just don't like reading books with animal death. And I really hate more when it's a plot device and it's like, you know, it's going to be a plot device. So I'm mad the whole time then because it's like, it feels like this big, heavy emotional event, you know. For many, losing a pet is losing a family yeah. member. Like, it is, you know, it is grief. It, it can, you know, you, you're hurt for a long time. And um, to have it become this sort of easy, cheap way to elicit painful emotion just bothers me so much. You know, as somebody who, like, in fifth grade, I had to put down, you know, my first cat. And it was like, that was the worst day oh. ever. And I don't want to be reading a book and be taken back to that, you know, as a cheap way to, like, get my feelings out. Like, that just, I I hate it so much. Me too. Um, But I guess, you know, speaking of dogs dying, uh, so so there's a book, a YA book that came out, um, I think just like a month ago. And it's it's kind of flown under the radar, but I thought it was really cool, is uh, Your Robot Dog Will Die by Aaron Greenwood. (laughs) Um, it's a Soho teen book, and you know they do tend to do slightly more experimental, kind of weird books. Um, and it's this odd, like post-apocalyptic-ish sort of novel because it's not really the apocalypse, because but it kind of feels like the apocalypse because all dogs go extinct. That that's like the apocalyptic thing that happens. Um, so all dogs. Uh, for the most part, are extinct. Um, something happened in in genetics, and suddenly all these dogs became hyper intelligent. They stopped wagging their tails. And they started becoming smart. Um, so mankind panics and and gets euthanizes like all these dogs, and the few that remain are sort of set aside, put on this kind of like feral island. Uh, and it's about this teen who uh, you know takes care of. The dogs that people are getting now, who are robots. So people are getting robotic dogs as pets. Um, and she discovers a living puppy who she wants to keep safe um, in, in this world that doesn't approve of living dogs anymore. And it's this really odd, very quirky post-apocalyptic book about dogs um, that I hope more people pick up because it's it's weird and it's wonderful. <laughs> How about let's talk about... Uh... Bonobos and chimpanzees. Um, yeah. So Endangered by Elliot Schriefer is, I believe it's the first in a trilogy or maybe a four-book series. I can't remember how many are in it. Um, and also the book Half-Brother by Kenneth Oppel. So the Schriefer book, Endangered, is about uh, growing up around bonobos in Africa. And it's about a girl who's with her mother and um, she's dealing with divorce and there's relationship with the the bonobos in the wild. Um, And then Half-Brother by Kenneth Oppel is about a boy whose father is studying chimpanzees and trying to figure out if they can understand sign language. And it's about the boy, like, suddenly having this new, quote, half-brother to 
have to share his time with. And uh, both are really interesting. And I really love the idea of um, apes like being a big part uh, of the story because there's so much there, not only in the relationships, but just like in the very specific relationship between humans and apes. And um, yeah, they're both... Both were good, both fascinating, uh, Sweet. and both offer up, you know, animals <laughs> with something to them. So is a bonobo an ape? I don't think I know what that is. Uh, it's a type of ape, I believe. Okay. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the ape family, I believe. Uh, you know, in that umbrella of big, big monkeys. Okay. Uh, I just Googled it. Yes, there, there, <laughs> there are some... There's some monkeys popping up on the screen. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I mean, I know it's that much. I just don't know, like, where it falls into the, the hierarchy. Um. Well, speaking of trying to figure out where something fits and, and falls into, um, does... <laughs> so does that... that so the, a book came out, like, I was like three, four years ago called um, Hot Pterodactyl Boyfriend. <laughs> So, so does this book count as like a teen and animal book? So it's a YA novel um, about a, a new teenager who transfers to school, and the, and he's like the first like interspecies transfer to the school, uh, and he happens to be a pterodactyl, um, and like everyone's like super attracted to the pterodactyl. He's the hot pterodactyl <laughs> boyfriend, and like uh, everyone's like fawning over the pterodactyl, and like I thought it was supposed to be like oh like a YA satire which also feels off because like I don't know like YA satire I don't know of those like paranormal romance books um but I was just so confused um like I've seen it uh <laughs> like I've definitely seen it in the store um for a short while mm-hmm. and I saw the cover popping up everywhere um I don't know does that count as as teen animal book I don't know <laughs> I've got no answer, and I just every time I think about that book, I just start laughing. And um, like super big aside, pterodactyl was the first hard word I learned how to spell. Oh wow! <laughs> so like every every time I saw it, I was like, I know how to spell that word. Like I can spell this book title right. <laughs> Hot pterodactyl boyfriend. <laughs> talk about two more and I know one you'll want to jump in on and and the other one you might as well I don't know but the first one is uh G Neary's Ghetto Cowboy is another one um and it follows a 12 year old boy named Cole who um he's sent to live with his dad who's involved with a group of African-American cowboys who rescue horses and this sort of helps um steer Cole away from a life in gangs and drugs as he sort of finds new role models and, and develops these relationships with um, these men as well as with the horses, which is pretty cool. Um, and then the other one I wanted to bring up is The New Guy, another senior year distraction yes. by uh, <laughs> Hey YA, you know, favorite Amy Spaulding, which involves not one, but multiple scenes of passive-aggressive dog-walking between an ultra-competitive girl and the new boy at school who she can't see to keep herself from feeling feelings for, even though she's, like, really mad about having these feelings for this boy, um, which comes out in the form of, like, passively-aggressively <laughs> walking these dogs. <laughs> yeah, so she, like, volunteers at, like, a shelter, and, like, their first date is kind of her introducing him to, like, this... The shelter that she walks these dogs at, and then he keeps going there even after they're they're not together. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness! I I love this book so much. It's so so funny. Me too. Yeah. 
And it's like, you know, like the relationships with the dogs aren't necessarily like the most developed, but it seeing that happen in the story was something that I don't see enough of, you know, like they, they're part of the story and, um, you know, in a, in a rom-com, like it worked super well. So well. <laughs> so, uh, there's no, no graceful way to transfer from a hot pterodactyl boyfriend to our next topic. It really isn't. So we're just going to like, <laughs> we're just going to jump right in and, uh, Hey Eric, do you know what today is? Uh, I, I, I do not. Today is the day the baseball fandom kicks oh. off. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah! It's opening day for Major League Baseball, and um, you know, growing up, one of my favorite things in the summer was going to Chicago White Sox games. My best friend's mom was a manager of the club level, which is like where you get really nice seats and you get food brought to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'd get to sit in these really great seats and get all the free food we wanted because of her mom. Um, and it was awesome. Like, I loved it. Uh, the The only downside was, like, we would have to wait in the car until the gates opened because her mom had to go to work, like, three or four hours before the game. But uh, it was such a nice, like, summer activity that cost nothing. And, you know, like, we got to be bratty kids at a baseball game. And uh, I loved it. I loved it so much. And, um, you know, it, it just got me thinking about how I'm – I really like reading sports books, even though I don't consider myself like a sports book reader mm-hmm. or a person who like, I certainly don't watch sports a whole lot um, and I don't really participate in any sports. And yet there's something about why sports books that just really work for me. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's important for the books to, I don't know, work for that general audience that, you know, you don't have to like sports in order to enjoy the book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah, what are what are some of your I guess what are some of your favorites? So I guess the first one that pops up is um, "See No Color" by Shannon Gibney, which is about a biracial girl who's adopted, and she is a stellar baseball player. She's been playing with her adoptive father for a long time, um, but as she's growing up, she is sort of seeing where she does and doesn't fit in her family um, because she's adopted, because she's mixed race. And so she begins to question sort of her place in this family and, like, what it is she wants out of her life. And she starts to wonder then, too, like, is this passion she has for baseball something that she really wants to continue pursuing? Or is it something that um, she did as sort of a way to, like, be connected to her adoptive father? And, oh, it's just a really fabulous and moving YA read and um, set, like, I, I read it when I was living in Wisconsin. It's set in Madison and set outside Milwaukee and stuff. So it's like there were a lot of really wonderful connections and um, just really, you know, it's a sports book, but also it's so much more than like a sports book because all sports books really are much more than the sport at hand. Oh, yes. And yeah, I got to say, you know, So See No Color was one of the first YA adoption books I ever picked up. Um, And, you know, I'm adopted uh, and it made me feel very like seen, even as someone, you know, in my 30s. Um, And I kind of I really wish I had that as a kid. You know, Shannon's brilliant. Um, I'm glad I'm glad that book is out there. Um, let me see. Sports books for me. Um, you don't have too many. Um, but I do really like Miranda Kennelly's books. Um, she writes mm-hmm. these like really wonderful, sweet, uh, you know, romance filled YA books in, uh, her series called, um, The Hundred Oaks. Um, they all revolve around sports. Um, and while they're sweet and they have all these like, you know, for the most part, they're, they're really nice romances. They end up tackling, <laughs> Because football, um, they end up tackling <laughs> serious issues and themes. Um, so you know you'll have these books that are about football, track, swimming, um, and then there's this great stuff in there 
uh, about like body image and toxic relationships. Um, what, I'm trying to remember what the, there, there's the one book about, um, oh, there, one of the books that the girl uh, is pregnant and I don't remember which one it is. Um, I don't know, but there's, there's, there's eight of them. There are, there are a lot of books in this little series. Um, and the baseball one is called Stealing Parker. Um, rather it's about softball. Um, and that's one of the mm-hmm. ones that's really uh, about body image. Um, the girl gets broken up with, she loses a ton of weight, um, and it's about toxic relationships. Um, she falls for the, the softball coach who is, uh, in his twenties and she's a teenager. Um, yes. So it's, uh, you know, underneath a lot of the, the, the sweetness in these books, she tackles like really big things. And, uh, yeah, I love them. And if you get all of them, they look gorgeous on the bookshelf. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the next one I'm going to talk about, I'm pretty sure I talked about it on the show before, but I'm going to bring it up again. And it's A Season of Daring Greatly by Ellen Emerson White. It came out last mm-hmm. year. It's about a girl named Jill who's the first girl to make the pro baseball leagues. And uh, it really digs into a lot of the issues that she deals with when it comes to being a woman in a position of being a role model with dealing with rampant sexism in an industry that is primarily men and by primarily I mean she's the first woman uh to be recruited and um it's also obviously about baseball and I think this is one of those books that a lot of people slept on last year but it was so good and um I think it'll really resonate especially for readers who are like into a sport where they are a minority of some sort and sort of navigating those tricky questions of like how to be myself versus how to be what people expect me to be or expect me to look like or expect uh, my behavior to to look like and yeah just when I think about it it, it's one of those books that just makes me feel good and um there's a little bonus that there's like virtually no romance in the book either which is a nice like refreshing (laughs) thing for readers who are like okay not everything needs a romance um this one would would fit the bill and if you're one of you know Everyone who was upset that pitch got canceled, this uh, this might feel feel that little little hole in your heart, um, left behind by that. So let's see. There's also the debut from Jennifer E. Smith, um, the comeback season. Um, so this teen girl spends her her time at her father's favorite place, which is Wrigley Field, uh, on the anniversary of his death, and is sort of you know just wrestling with the fact that you know her father's gone. This is what he enjoyed the most, um, and yeah, I don't know. It's it's one that's been on my to-be-read list for, for quite a while, because I've, I've certainly read her other books. Um, I don't know, have you read this one, Kelly? I have not, but I was thinking about how you know it's a backlist book because it's still called Wrigley Field. Ah, yes. No, sorry. Yeah, no, Wrigley Field. Yeah, I, didn't it get a new name? Oh, did it? Am I making that up? I know that um, Comiskey Park has gone through a number. Maybe Wrigley is the same. I feel like they... They changed it and nobody called. I don't know. <laughs> Somebody's going to write an angry, like, you don't know anything about the Cubs. And I'm going to say, I know, because I'm a White Sox fan. I don't know anything <laughs> about the Cubs. <laughs> um, no, I haven't read it. And um, I've liked her other books, so it sounds like something I should pick up. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to run through a couple more um so there are a number of white authors who, they write a lot of sports-themed books, and they're, you know, high-paced, um, engaging, like, readers who love sports books know these authors, but um, for readers who are general white readers might not be as familiar. So 
Uh, Carl Duker has written a few baseball books, including Heart of a Champion, Painting the Black, and High Heat. Uh, Paul Volponi has one, too, called Game 7. And Robert Lissyth has one called Center Field. Um, yeah, so get a few, you know, a few different flavors there of, of baseball stories. And, uh, yeah, I was, <laughs> was going to end this little segment with a comment about the Cubs because I can. <laughs> like, after I've made that, like, is it still called Wrigley Field question? Um, you know what I would love to see a YA book about is um, – When the Cubs won the World Series in 2016, there was this really wonderful piece that came out um, on ESPN, and I'll I'll link to it in the show notes, that talked about um, how so many people found such an emotional response to this win because being fans of the Cubs has been like a multi-generational family thing. And um, the piece sort of digs into people who got to see this big when people who weren't around to see it and the ties that like families and generations have to these institutions, these um, sports teams and, and these family loyalties too. And man, it just, it made me think about how cool it would be to read a book about a teen who like is at that winning game and how much it means to them and um, how it ties to, you know, some family member um, in their history. And um, you know, I just, see a beautiful book with like this premise to it and um you know told in whatever 24 hours and um yeah yeah nice (laughs) is that our show i think that might be our show i think that might be our show too um you know from graphic novels to pterodactyls to baseball it's good you know it's eclectic (laughs) yeah yeah i mean we're that's sort of our theme so uh Thank you for tuning in this week. If you've got any feedback, you can leave it for us on Apple Podcast. Let us know how we're doing. And when you leave a review, you help other people find us. Thanks again to today's sponsors for helping make the show possible. You can follow me, Kelly Jensen, on Twitter and Instagram as Veronica Kelly Mars. And you can follow Eric Smith on Twitter and Instagram as Eric Smith Rocks. And we will talk to you all again in 